This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised last week, we should be able to provide you later in today's show with uh, the results of uh, our little expedition back east. Yours truly, for the benefit of this radio program, traveled to New York City and Washington, D.C. I was able on this trip to receive a tour of 30 Rockefeller Center, uh, that uh, nerve network from which NBC has been broadcasting for many decades. Had a chance to see where they uh, filmed Saturday Night Live. In fact, while we were there, they were having people, a bunch of poor saps actually in makeup, sitting behind a table as the camera crew was going about uh, deciding what they would do in the actual night of the, um, of the show. Didn't look like very scintillating work. And a few blocks away from 30 Rock, I was able to get a tour of the Sirius Satellite Network's uh, main building, courtesy of our former general manager here at KDVS, Stephen Valentino. And it was kind of a trip full of tours, actually, because a couple days later, I went down to Washington, D.C. and got a chance to move about the Voice of America headquarters, about a half a block from the Capitol building. It is a massive operation, and I'll, I'll have things to say about all three of these tours and more in our third segment today. Stay tuned. Our featured guest on today's program in segment two will be William Poundstone, the author of Big Secrets, Bigger Secrets, and Biggest Secrets. We're a big fan of all three of those books and have been looking forward to bringing Mr. Poundstone on this program actually for many years. When we first started doing radio, we thought that's the kind of author we want to bring on, and happily uh, we will do so today. Of course, we know Mr. Poundstone will be good because we had him on uh, not that many weeks ago talking about his new book, Gaming the Vote, which we would refer you to on our website, radioparallax.com, for an archival listening if you missed it the first time. So let us commence today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date in history today would be April 3rd. It was on April 3rd, 1312 B.C., traditionally, that Moses parted the Red Sea for the Israelites who were fleeing Egypt. By the Hebrew calendar, it was 21 Nisam 2448. While some later historians have cast some doubt upon the biblical telling of the events, Charlton Heston did a pretty stirring job in Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. And it was on April 3rd in 1860 that the first Pony Express mail simultaneously left St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. The Pony Express uh, actually only lasted about a year and a half, during which time the ongoing development of the railroad uh, made the service unneeded. If you should come as a tourist to visit Sacramento, so near from where we broadcast uh, this particular program, you will find a sculpture and historical monument commemorating uh, where those uh, riders left, headed east for St. Louis, Missouri. It was on April 3rd in 1919 that Austria's National Assembly passed the Habsburg Law. This required all Habsburgs to either leave the country or accept their status as ordinary citizens with no dynastic ambitions. On April 3rd, 1948, U.S. President Harry S. Truman signed into law the Foreign Assistance Act, more commonly known as the Marshall Plan. 
Named after U.S. Secretary of State George C. Marshall, the program channeled more than $13 billion in aid to Europe between 1948 and 1951. On April 3rd in 1965, uh, some bright spark in the U.S. government got the idea that it would be a good idea to orbit an experimental space reactor. The SNAP-10A, the first nuclear reactor in space, shut down due to failure after 43 days. It's still orbiting. And sadly, it was on April 3rd in 1968, 40 years ago today, that Martin Luther King Jr. gave his last sermon in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been to the mountaintop, he said. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. The next day, he was assassinated. And you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe that, that 40 years have passed because I can remember that day so well, as I think anyone can who was around then. And although I did not know this until recently, uh, the, the site of, of Martin Luther King's assassination has been turned into a civil rights museum in Memphis, Tennessee. And one of our uh, fellow DJs here at KDVS had a chance to visit that site in conjunction with a... Um, folk music convention which took place last month. Returning to the program now is the host of KDVS's Saturday morning folk show, Robin Fox. Welcome back, Robin. Thank you, Doug. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you. Now, uh, I, I didn't even know there was a museum there, but I guess it is quite a big deal in Memphis. It's a very big deal. It's the National Civil Rights Museum, and it was built onto the Lorraine Motel, which is, as we know, the site of Martin Luther King's assassination. It's a powerful place. If you ever go there, plan to spend several hours because it starts with the history of the civil rights movement from just before the Civil War and slavery up through Jim Crow laws. There's a lot of reading material, a lot of photographs and artifacts. So they have a burnt out bus from the Freedom Summer. They had a garbage truck from the 1968 sanitation workers' strike in Memphis. And it was very powerful to see the garbage truck next to the model of a man with his sign that said quite simply, I am a man. Those workers were in horrible circumstances, and that's what came up to the strike, which... That's what King was there to support, was the strike of those workers. That's correct. He was there for the strike to support them. He was concerned about some violence that was occurring during some of the demonstrations, but he was there for the strike. And on, I believe it was a Friday evening of April 4th, he was just outside on the balcony of the motel, taking a break, having a cigarette before going over to somebody's house for dinner. And the boarding house where the assassin had been was not far away. I didn't realize it. It was actually a short distance. And I was fortunate enough when I was there, I was leaving the museum and... And that's all part of the museum too, the boarding house? It's across the street. I don't know if there's anything in it. Okay. But I was very fortunate that there was a history teacher with a couple of classes, high school history students, and he was doing a presentation. And I stayed for that. He had the classes out on the cold ground and reading excerpts from eyewitness accounts of the event. And he talked about the significance of the strike and the signs that the men were using. And talking about Dr. King as a human being, he was out having a cigarette, taking a break, gathering his thoughts, resting a little, 
and that's when it happened. It was a, a moving experience. I recommend going to that museum for anybody. Well, if, if I ever get to Memphis, I certainly will do that. It's it's hard to it's hard to believe looking back on that he was only 39 years of age. That's correct. He already won the Nobel Peace Prize. Youngest person ever to do so. And and yet, uh, I think. I don't know if they mentioned this. There's still a great controversy over the circumstances surrounding his, his assassination. He, the history teacher didn't talk about that. There was mention that the King family did support reopening the investigation. They believed James Earl Ray, that he was not the only person involved. Well, Robin, thank you for that. I think if you're as old as I am and can remember a lot of those civil rights events as they transpired, that it would still be a worthwhile experience, but even more so if you don't know some of the history, because I think it's certainly worth taking a look back at how things were in the early 60s and how America changed. That's correct. A lot of people aren't aware of just how awful it was. It really was a state of apartheid in America, and it all changed. Well, it didn't all change, but certainly a lot changed in one decade of the 60s that turned things around. Yes, that's correct. It was good to be here. Thank you. All right. That was Robin Fox, host of KDBS's very own Saturday Morning Folk Show, which he alternates with Bill Wagman. And lastly, we would note that it was on this date in history in 1956 that Elvis sang his first RCA recording, that being Heartbreak Hotel, on NBC's Milton Berle Show. By April 21st, the song became Elvis's first number one hit. All right, our quote of the day comes from Senator John McCain, who said in a news conference, I guess last week, that uh, he was concerned that, quote, that al-Qaeda is going back into Iran and receiving training and coming back into Iraq from Iran. It was only after his traveling partner, Senator Joe Lieberman, whispered into his ear that the embarrassed McCain realized his mistake. Iranians who are Shiites are believed to be training Shiite militants in Iraq, not Al-Qaeda in Iraq, a Sunni insurgent group. I'm sorry, McCain then added, the Iranians are training extremists, not Al-Qaeda. Although I believe I pointed out on the show numerous times that no matter who's going to win in November, it's going to be an improvement. When you've got a guy that doesn't know the difference between a Shiite and a Sunni, you have to wonder that maybe it's not going to be a very big improvement should McCain win. And if it should be the case, dear listener, that you're a little confused about the difference between a Shiite and a Sunni, we would refer you to our archives here at RadioParallax.com. And it's a subject we'll, of course, give a refresher on, I think, in the weeks to come. Our quip of the day comes from comedian Dana Carvey, who said, I'm 30 years old, but I read at the 34-year-old level. Our statistic of the day is that, uh, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, there are currently more than 900,000 names on the federal government's primary terrorist watch list. The number is expected to hit 1 million by this summer. Yes, That's right, ladies and gentlemen, one out of every 300 of us is considered material to go on our government's terrorist watch list. You ever wonder why it is we're having a little trouble focusing in on the real hotspots? And by the way, when I was leaving Washington, D.C. to come back here uh, on, on Monday, there were numerous announcements that the alert level was at orange. 
Now, not remembering what the color scheme is for our alert levels, I wasn't sure whether that was an increased level of alertness or a decreased level of alertness. It was only with time I was able to discern the fact that orange apparently is higher than whatever color it was recently. And if you have any clue what you're supposed to do when someone tells you, oh, by the way, we're now at an orange level of alertness, please send us an email at info at radioparallax.com because we don't have a clue. All right, as for our joke of the day, you know what? We're going to put off our jokes of the day until our third segment today and instead go right now to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for, quote, rational self-interest, unquote, after it was revealed that at least 17 universities have accepted $1 million from a wealthy donor under the condition that they make Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged required reading in a course on capitalism from a moral perspective. And I would like to note at this point that the former head of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, was himself a devotee of Ms. Ayn Rand. Maybe he should be giving a course on capitalism from a moral perspective as we watch the chickens come home to roost in the current financial crisis in this country based upon some of his perspective. I believe that book uh, was written in 1957, and it's sort of curious to note that a little over a half century later, the world's foremost capitalist appeared to be the members of the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China, the devotees formerly of Chairman Mao. It's, it's, it's a funny world we're living in. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the passengers of Flight 1536 after a U.S. Airways pilot who was landing the plane in Charlotte, North Carolina, accidentally discharged a gun in the cockpit. The pilot was part of a program began after 9-11 to allow pilots to be armed. This has never happened before, said a spokesman for the Transportation Safety Administration. And no, we have no idea why the pilot was fingering a gun as he was preparing to land the aircraft. And it was uh, really a very ugly week for the First Amendment. Last week, when Girls Gone Wild founder Joe Francis announced that he'll release a DVD featuring Elliot Spitzer's call girl, Ashley Dupree. That, even if she was underage, when the footage was shot. Francis discovered the 2003 videos of Dupree dancing naked and posing with other young women in his archives last week and immediately broke off negotiations to pay her $1 million for a new photo shoot. Our footage is from when she was 18, he said, and it doesn't get much better than that. The report that Dupree may have only been 17 at the time did not change Francis's plans. It doesn't matter, he said, Even if she was 17 or 16, for that matter, federal and state law permits posing nude. We're just talking about nudity, not pornography. Actually, that remains to be seen. If you can remember back in the 1980s when it was revealed that porn actress Tracy Lords was 17 when she made, uh, made adult films, they were threatening every single outlet in this country, including the liquor store in my neighborhood down in Merced, with closing them up if they had any videos that featured the underage actress. So I guess it depends on, uh, you know, how you define pornography and uh, whether the federal government wants to act, which, of course, in this case, you know, 
they're too busy, I guess, composing a terrorist watch list to move against this. So, so Joe Francis may get away with this one. Anyway, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, let's hear from our old pal Will Durst, America's foremost political comic. Well, thanks, Doug. And today, I just want to point out that the Democrats have only themselves to blame for getting locked into the steel cage deathmatch of theirs, mostly because they just can't control their urge to coddle. Like everything else they touch, they insist on treating their primary participants like a litter of newborn puppies with learning disabilities, as opposed to Republicans, who have more of a warrior-slash-and-burn kind of a primary philosophy. You win a state, you get the delegates, all the delegates, and no whining. The Democrats, however, true to their inclination to be the nanny party, rewrote the rules to make sure nobody accidentally gets their feelings hurt. Because every one of us is special. You win a state, you get some of the delegates. And if you come in second, you get some too. Third, sure, what the hell, have a couple delegates, short ones. Fourth, fifth, you bet, everybody's a winner here. Because this isn't about electing a president. This is about sharing and caring. Nobody goes away feeling like a loser in the Democratic Party. Except during the general election, that is. Hell, the Democrats even figured out how to defy science. In the Nevada caucuses, Hillary Clinton received 51% of the vote, compared to Obama's 45, but Obama won more delegates. Well, there's your problem, people. Simple math. Apparently, not a Democratic strong suit. And they still wonder why they lost the 2000 and 2004 elections. Why is it such a bad thing that this might not get sorted out till August in Denver? After all, isn't that what the conventions are for? And we haven't even addressed the whole superdelegate mess. Of course, they had any sense of theater. They'd enter the convention wearing tights and capes. But then some delegates might feel less special. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Let's take a short break, after which we'll talk to William Poundstone about some big secrets out there. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 